do you have a private or sensitive dating and relationship issue you want to chat with me about? Sometimes we all need a little TLC and one-on-one and I'm here for it. Here's what you want to do. Visit matchmerrymate.com. Click work with me and book your individual call. I cannot wait to meet you in the Zoom room, honey. Greetings, love bugs. Welcome to another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show, where I discuss topics and issues to support Black women with their self-love, femininity and womanhood, and their own personal love lives. I also share meaningful content to Black couples, partnered or married, and every blue moon, I address the fellas. I would definitely say that today's episode is for the Black community at large. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and welcome to our season two bonus, love bugs. This week, we are here with our second bonus episode that recaps season two of the Match Mary Mate show. Of course, I have Jeremiah in the studio with me as he's my right-hand man on reviewing each season of our show. Welcome, welcome again, and thank you for being here with Jeremiah and I today. As you know, we produce seven episode seasons, and each one is followed by a bonus where we recap together as man and woman and or husband and wife. It just depends on the issue, really. So I asked Jeremiah to weigh in on how we should cover this show and he chose to go episode by episode. So that is what we shall do today. For this show, we're going to delve into some male worth and value from Jeremiah's perspective, maternal relationships that influence female partner selection from men. And we're also going to mix in some parental and family history. We're also going to hit you with a side of polygamy. Ooh as a response to gender disparity and quote unquote biblical marriage. Then we're going to close with the coaching session that raised a mirror to our own marriage. Yikes. Along with a little female power and the value of reciprocity in relationships. Now this is in general, but particularly in the courting phase. As you already know, y'all know what time it is. I want to aid in the healing of gender relations between Black women and Black men because I am learning through my coaching practice that when we have the proper relationship education, including instruction, application, and community support, heavy on the community, it produces safer, happier, and smarter dating decisions that improve the quality of our relationships as we enter the dating market to match, marry, and mate. Because while y'all, Black love matters, and we are in much need of some Black family power restoration. One of the most consistent things that I notice in my coaching practice is that women do not have a strong grasp on male nature. We often desire partnership and relationship with men, but know very little about 
who they are outside of what we can get from them and the behaviors we like to shun. If you truly want a long-term relationship or marriage with the man, I'd encourage you to study male nature. To do that, you will need to study men. Converse with them. Connect with them. Find value and meaning in them. One of the reasons I produce these bonus episodes side by side with Jeremiah is to offer my mostly Black woman audience some insight into male thinking. Now, you don't have to agree with all that I say or what Jeremiah says, but his thinking as a man has a perspective that you do not possess, that I do not possess if I'm talking directly to Black women. You have men in your life, yes? So whether you agree or disagree, discuss the content that we explore here with them so that it facilitates the kind of conversation and connection I'm prompting you to have. Become curious genuinely with no motive but to learn more about men and male life. Also, I sit with him so you can hear how men and women can explore topics together and how they bring differing views but can still operate in harmony. And also because there are some things that he needs to gain from me and me from him to have answers that help give meaning and for us to express empathy and a level of compassion for each other. And I really hope that you hear those exchanges today in a climate of black man versus black woman. Ugh, and I hate the word versus right there, but this is the energy or in the climate of gender wars or just all of the social media noise and shenanigans. I really want you to hear that men and women need each other. And if I make that more direct to my own community, that black men and black women need each other. And so we wanna serve as an example of ways to have conversations have tough conversations, have meaningful conversations, have relevant and current conversations with each other that boasts of kindness and compassion and empathy and really trying to understand each other and figure out how we can coexist and harmonize into life together, because together is better. (laughs) So allow me to start by wetting your palate for today's tea. In our recap of episode eight, Jeremiah addresses Black men and offers ways for them to self-value for themselves inside their communities and as partners and family men. Now, in the midst of a concurrent conversation about male provision and protection in the Black community, so those two thoughts, two conversations are running together the definition of self-value kind of in the context of male provision and protection. Now, our entire chat for the episode eight review is good for the Black community in general, but if I had to flag two subset populations, I would say definitely Black men and Black boy moms. Now, at one point in our conversation, Um, It seems that Jeremiah confuses for a second value and worth. I did not correct him live and I'm not going to 
do any correction here, so to speak. I just want to mention it so that you do not become confused by my own definition. I think when you listen, you'll know what he means. In our episode nine review, Jeremiah borrows my men choose their partners based on their relationships with their mother's principle and explains one of his draws to me and in choosing me with the same virtue he sees in his mother um, and that he values it so much that it was important that his wife had it too. So in case you're new to Match Mary Mate or the podcast, this is not my own psychological principle. It was taught to me by my psychology professor, but it is the idea that um, men or boys rather, in their relationship with their mother, they learn to choose their female partners in their relationship with their father. They learn to they learn how to treat their female partners. And then the same is true, vice versa. So Jeremiah is going to make a connection for us there. And then in our recap of episode 10, Jeremiah discusses the personal gains of understanding your parental and family history and the impact of transitioning into your fourth cycle of seven into turning 28, right? And managing that entire seven year period, which he and I just both aged out of not too long ago. In our episode 11 review, Jeremiah discusses the meaning of marriage and how it evolves over time and within certain societies. Now I ask him to confront the one man, one woman under God biblical view of marriage in response to polygamy being introduced in that particular episode. Now I address the ladies while he addresses the fellas and I hope you enjoy that recap. Fun fact, I have been to two poly weddings in my lifetime and one of them I attended with Jeremiah. Now I'm not even gonna lie to y'all, they're one of my favorite kind of weddings to attend. (laughs) We can agree to disagree, but you gotta listen to the full episode first. Now, in episode 12, one of my coaching sessions um, with my client revealed language um, that Jeremiah was searching for in the aftermath of us having one of our own conversations. Um, He was kind of searching for language to make his own needs request to me. And that particular episode gave that to him. So we will unpack that together. And then in our episode 13 recap, Jeremiah unpacks the Marieism mentioned in that episode to affirm the natural power of a woman, the power of her no, and how monitoring how anyone reacts when they're not getting their way is valuable information to know about who they are and the relationship you are in with them. Then we close with episode 14, as Jeremiah expounds on what co-laboring means to men and how that complementary energy of invitation, initiation, blends well in male-female relationships. He ends with making bids on how reciprocity is the lifeline to them, including what inspires a man to go even more harder (laughs) in pursuing you. So sit back and enjoy the recap. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. Season two was a great listen. I think it was so interesting to hear so many perspectives from different women of backgrounds, of generations, um, of difficulties and challenges that they're facing. So it was really cool to 
um, hear the personification of a lot of things that I think you coach your clients on. So it was an enjoyable listen. Yeah, thanks for that. This was our Know Thyself series. And I really wanted women to just tap into what I usually approach with them when I'm first engaging with, with them. That self-love, self-worth, self-value, um, understanding your history, your family, your trends, and just telling a story from May and I at the beginning, self-worth, all the way through your feedback loops and your sweet spot. So we're starting out with episode eight, which was the first episode of the season, your self-worth. May and I were together real time, same space and place. We opened up the mic and just went for it. Usually I organize my episodes or have some soft script but you know, I trust me, we can just get in there and do the dang thing. So we did. What was, what was your response? What's your feedback? So I, I really appreciated this episode for two reasons. The first was because of your lyrical letter, which I had heard before, but um, obviously it's still impactful when you hear it recorded and um, the conversation around self-worth and self-value. So the lyrical letter, I mean, obviously it's from your vantage point as it should be, uh, but being a you know very involved participant of that journey, I think there was some emotion for me personally, just listening to it hmm. and I thought it was a beautiful way of explaining the intrinsic value every human being has just through their the sheer miracle of being born and then contextualizing that through the IVF process, I think was just very powerful and a personal pleasure to listen to. So that was great. And then the conversation with May in particular, I think it was important to make that distinguish, uh, that distinguishment between self-worth and self-value. I think a lot of times, especially in this like work-based economy and society that we work in, um, many of us, men and women, place all of our worth based on our market value in the workplace and forget that, you know, we have worth in something to contribute beyond just our nine to five or whatever delivers the income. And so I think that's an important message again for men and women. I know that you speak to women um, mostly, but I think it's an important reminder that human beings in general must first personally recognize their self-worth, recognize that just your your sheer presence carries a great value. And then when you talk about self-value, that's very contextual, right? It, it, it's based on the situation that you're in, which has nothing to do with your personal worth. And I think we shouldn't get those mixed up because if you do, um, that's where you trip up and start getting 
into episodes of questioning yourself or being um, unsure in yourself. And you have to be able to understand, for example, oh, this job might not want me, but that doesn't mean I'm worthless. That just means that job isn't a good fit for me or I'm not a good fit for them. It's, it's separate from who I am. Same with relationships. And I think it's important for um, men and women, but we'll stick with women to recognize the same. Um, whether it's familial relationships or romantic ones, just because someone or the circumstances of a particular relationship don't work out, it's not an indictment on your personal worth. It just means the value that you brought to a particular relationship either was undervalued or unrecognized. And you or should... underwhelming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> And for all three reasons, time to move on and learn from the situation, right? So I thought that was a um, important message, especially to set up the season. I actually want to pick your brain here as a as a male, as a penis person. I tend to say in my coaching practice. <laughs> um, so there's lots of conversation around the role that men are supposed to have that in air quotes play in romantic relationships, particularly um, relationships that will foster and create family. So I would say, if I had to say, okay, what are the major factors that drive men I guess I would say, but definitely um, in relationships and in how they relate to to women, all women, even family, but obviously the more specific we get with romantic or intimate relationships, all the more. If I had to say, this is how I think they're wired, how I think they understand um, their sense of self and what they bring to a relationship, if you will, providers, protectors, pleasers. How specifically with black men, how do we as black women help black men to feel like they are worth and valued really? That's what I think the leaders are, the protection and the provision. I think my heart is to make sure that black men, at least in interacting with me, see themselves like that's not all that there is, even if it is a huge part. But some of the conversations that I'm engaging in kind of makes it seem like black men could run the risk of thinking, okay, and if I'm not currently providing or don't have anything, you know, that I'm providing or, um, protecting, then I'm, I'm valueless. Yeah. Um, good question. I've thought about the second part a lot lately, given some of the conversations that have been out in the culture sphere <laughs> that I don't follow, but seem to not be able to get away from. Um, thanks, internet. 
So provision is just the ability to acquire power and assets, mm -hmm. but to what end? And I've talked about this in last season, mm -hmm. right? Why are you acquiring um, power and assets and income? Um, the best of men are doing it to uh, serve and protect others. There's a nuance there, but I use two words, serve and protect, right? So it doesn't make much sense for you to build an empire that you then can't protect. So what type of skills do you have to make sure that that's true, um, both from a physical perspective, but just all the things that would come with protecting your family, the things that you all have. I think that's a very basic kind of thought and mentality that's important. However, I think what gets lost in that is the ability to pour into those that you have decided to protect. Interestingly enough, protection is just from the outside world. I almost want to describe it as like a, a uh, external forces. It's from external forces. So let's call it um, like a house. You've, you have the house and there are a lot of external forces outside of the house that could make life really uncomfortable for those that live in it. So the outside of the house has to be very strong and sturdy and imposing and resilient in a way where nothing can penetrate to cause issues for those that are inside the house or the valuables inside the house. But when you look inside the house, it's calm, it's pristine, it's comforting. It has all the things that make life easy. If you wanna personify that from a, a male perspective, we're really good at the external part, but oftentimes we're not that good at turning inward both for ourselves and for our partners and becoming that soft individual that can um that can be tender to pour into some one or something right you can also think about it as a garden yes you're in the garden to protect to pull weeds to make sure animals aren't doing things from the outside world but that alone is not sufficient for the garden to flourish you also have to water it right you have to give it uh, the nutrients that it requires to grow and so i think both are important once you get the provision you have to be able to provide yes but then you have to protect and pour into the individuals that count on you so those three are the ones that i think about and I think that pouring into is the part that is new in terms of how I think about it um, than maybe years before. And to me, that's a pretty simple thing that most men probably can understand. And it covers, I think, a large majority of what you've described as our innate desires, but also I think what the best of men would do. I like the the pour into because it pouring into can be whatever whatever that task is, whatever that vessel is. 
Um, so I like that better. I might have to update. And you kept my alliteration, so you know I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, provide and protect is kind of like tell as old as time, right? We've heard that. Our grandparents have said it. Our parents have said it. But you're saying the pour into is a recent phenomenon, at least for you. Um, but I think it's becoming something that men have to contend with in terms of what what women want out of relationships. Yes, we do want the provider and the protector, but we also, the way that you put it, we want the poor. We want someone who, yeah, can go inward, can tend to the things inside of the home too, not just outside. Um, now, I don't know to what degree, right? I don't, I don't know that I need <laughs> a man doing everything on the inside, but obviously some participation, some help, especially um, if I'm not able to, you know, that, that is definitely attractive and, and wanted. So I like that. If for any reason, a, an adult male finds himself not being able to provide, mm-hmm. and then based on your definition, then there's really nothing to protect. So they kind of mm-hmm. go together. So if they find themselves not able to provide slash protect, in their life, how does that impact worth and value in the way that we are speaking of? Yeah, uh, this one's tricky. Uh, And I've listened to a lot of recent podcasts and articles that talk about this. So I got to start with what I think is, I don't know, maybe an uncomfortable truth, but I think it might be true. So one man's opinion, but women are generally seen as how can i put this individuals that are essentially born with a birthright if if that makes any sense quite quite literally because of the birthing process right (laughs) it is it is just a part of the female experience and because that is true there's not really like institutions or or mechanisms that usher in womanhood now in certain cultures and societies that is a thing but broadly speaking it's kind of like a given like you just you arrive at it it's 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 an arrival uh as long as you're you're old enough and and get there Manhood is different. And I don't think it's a bad thing that it's different. And let me explain. If you think about manhood, um, it is often talked about in a way where it must be earned. You know, all of the all of the traditions that you can point to throughout history where you know, there's there's a tradition that officially marks a boy going to manhood. There's probably a series of um, activities or learnings that he had to go through with older men that would evaluate his ability to do certain things. It, it, it never was just assumed that you were, uh, air quote, man in a particular society, whatever that meant. And I think the reason that is true 
is because there's a responsibility that comes with the act of protecting, right? If we're, if we're talking about one of the central tenets or themes of manhood is to protect, then there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And we can't just put that responsibility in anyone's hands. And so we have to know, we society have to know that you are qualified to handle the burden of protecting others that might need that protection or might need you to be out front for whatever reason. This is the reason why we hold or we should hold police to a high standard. It's the reason why the military and first responders have such a high standard because we're entrusting them with the lives, quite literally, of those that depend on them. And I think there's just a higher standard that's required for someone to see you in that light. It's not an indictment on being a man. It is the burden of responsibility for the office that you're seeking to hold. And so because in a romantic relationship, that is generally speaking how we see a man should show up. And I, again, don't think that's wrong. It's not a foregone conclusion, right? That you're up to the task. There's just some things that we need to suss out to see if you're up to the task. And that could be interpreted as, damn, so what about men that just are not? But here's, here's the thing. And maybe this is just the problem of our society, but I think in a well-functioning society, a society that knows how to direct that energy and that innate desire for a man to be seen that way and want to be seen that way, I think a healthy society would know how to direct those energies to other parts of society that need it, that might not be uh, as a romantic partner to a woman oh lord women do a good job eliminating said types of men as an intellectual exercise intellectually we have that we don't we don't always do a good job with that emotionally and relationally um and i think that just comes from we're relational beings, we want to communicate, we want to figure it out, we want to, you know, and then this is how we end up with what I like to call potentials and projects and in, um, in my work, and it is difficult for a woman to try to cultivate anything with um, with a man who where it's still budding, you can but it's a it's a more arduous jump off. And it is highly difficult, if not impossible, to cultivate something with a man who, the way that you put it, would have been sussed out by society or by whatever the... Sure, yeah. I think um, because we don't have institutions that are dedicated to um, the building of men, especially at a youth level, there are a lot of missed opportunities to allow for older men who might not have quite figured it out to, 
to be a part of something that allows for that to be cultivated in them as well. Interestingly enough, it is said that one of the best ways to improve your skill at something is to try to teach someone else that skill. Sure. Um, as a coach, as a mentor, what have you. Imagine having so many more black male mentors to young boys, those that have been incarcerated, those that might not have the best um, economic situation, but we have the institutions that are cultivating younger men to do better, right? The act of those individuals, those men that might not be ready for a relationship, at least based on the standards of the women that they're trying to court, imagine if they were a part of institutions that allow them to teach others, right? There's also a certain level of consistency that you have to bring if you're going to do that. You can't be in front of some 14-year-old talking ABC, and then he sees you out in the streets doing DEF, right? So there's a consistency that you have to bring if you're going to be that type of person to um, a young boy or a coach at, a, at some all-boys sporting institution. There's just so many ways that a man who has the desire to pour into others, to serve, to protect, where it can be channeled to youth, it can be channeled to just individuals that need that support. Maybe it's physically like enablement, um, but I don't think our society creates those paths. And so if you only can express that through acquiring a mate and it happens to be in a situation where all of them are killing it and you not it's going to leave you pretty it's going to leave you feeling pretty um insufficient as as a person who wants to be called a man or seen as a qualified man and so i think part of the problem is yes ownership on our part um, to make sure that we arrive at manhood well qualified. But I also think it's the lack of institutions that both build the men and also allow for men that are that have arrived and still trying to arrive to practice it themselves in other institutions that aren't so what I would call long lasting once you build a nuclear family there is no turning back right it's pretty yeah. much right but there are other ways to create that through institution and so i don't i just don't think we're giving a men enough opportunity to practice the act through other institutions that aren't so permanent yeah i like this practicing because a lot of i mean even even with our sons you know me i've been very vocal about launching they must launch um, and prior to launching, there has to be a period where they can practice. They can practice a lot of skills without much consequence to their real life. Because if as soon as you practice something, you bear all the consequence of what it means to put it into play, you know, you're kind of starting out already underground, you know, below ground zero. So I like that. So what are we Maybe a better way to ask the question now that you've said that and given me new language. Males who don't know how, struggling to, still trying to figure it out, sometimes even refuse to. I'm gonna just throw that all together. But 
males who insert everything I just said for protecting and providing, where where is their value if protecting or providing isn't a task they can carry out? Um, that needs to be qualified. That protecting and providing for a family, a permanent family might not be a task that they either can carry out or uh, would be chosen for. But uh. protecting and providing, just look at all these little black boys <laughs> in the streets. Mm -hmm. Like Omar Johnson is somebody that I believe speaks some truths. Y'all come get me. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that he says is we need to stop looking at black women or society as the principal responsible parties to get our black boys back on track. It is the duty of black men, full stop. I'd, I'd ask all of us as black men, raise your hand if you're a mentor to a black boy right now. Unfortunately, I don't think many of them would be able to raise their hand. That's not a part of their active daily pursuit. And I think if more of us did that, including the ones that aren't air quote ready for romantic familial partnership all of the value that we're seeking would be immediately obvious all of the value that we think we're searching for or might not be uh praised for would immediately be obvious it's um interesting that you mentioned that you know i just went to this talk with this economist who just wrote a book called Two Parent Privilege. And so, so many societal factors and things. However, when she got to her spiel on boys, and then undoubtedly she had to do a subset of black boys, when she got there, she stated that I, I don't remember if it was the single most or the leading, but it was up there. It was a major indicator of black boys kind of, I guess, not launching, not rising to the task, what, what have you, is the lack of black men serving in their communities. She didn't even say fathers, but that black the black boys the communities that they're coming from they don't see enough black men inside their communities and it did it did make me think about um what dr umar johnson said and some of your feedback to what he said and that is mentor these black boys get these black boys together um at black men spending time and pouring into black boys would pretty much remedy most of the issues that at least that black moms and black women scream about, which are largely romantic, relational, familial of some kind. Yeah, I think we've we've gotten tricked. We black community have gotten tricked and trapped into this cycle of what people are calling gender wars on a black male part of it, we have focused way too much of seeking validation and praise 
through the office of being the leader of a home, as opposed to finding ways to be a leader in our community, Woo! which is a very different thing. It is. One begets the other, I, I understand, but you don't need to be the leader of a house or a family to be a leader in the community or to be a servant of your community. And mentorship is one of those principal examples. And, you know, my recent experience with 100 Black men, um, uh, being a member and watching how the Saturday Leadership Academy that we do for young Black boys manifest in this exact point. A lot of the men in 100 Black men aren't, to my knowledge, they're not actively serving as a husband to a, a um, woman in their home. But I kid you not, the 90% of parents who bring their boys to these Saturday Leadership Academies are black moms. Are black moms. Yeah. All the crap that is given for the inability of, quote, black moms or black women to kind of like pipe down and just let a man be a man, all of that crap that we, we talk. You would imagine if any man they would do it for would be apparently the man in the home. So mm -hmm. they know us less, right? They don't even know some of us by name. They just know we're a group of black men. Mm -hmm. And they will show up and drop off their black boy every single Saturday without question, even if the hiccups of the logistics are inconvenient and could be a little bit executed a little bit better they still dropping off their black boys and thanking us. I know I was. And <laughs> it has nothing to do with being the husband or the father or the man in the home and everything to do with taking your office of a male servant, someone that's willing to serve and protect and doing it on behalf of those that most needed in the community, which is our black boys. And you're the most qualified to do it because we all know it takes a man to raise a boy to manhood. Right, and, and the so, culture being a black man to a black boy right. makes it that much more realized. So there is a ton of value that a black man or a man in general can deliver to his community outside of being chosen for husband. I like that. And we just lose sight of it Yes. because we're so caught up on the back and forth between genders. Yeah. So I don't think you uh, and we, we live in a society that over indexes on career specifically. Right. And so if you don't have a career, then it's even more reason why someone's not going to look at you like you're of worth as a man, because we don't have the institutions for mentorship like we should um bringing boys to manhood like we should should and a lot of the careers that men used to hold um are going by the wayside because of technology so it really constrains the way you can use your inherent worth as a man in society right it constrains yes. the pathways yes i don't i no longer have the type of jobs that were available to me i don't have the institutions that are focused on black um just blackness i don't have the uh the institutions that are focused on um 
youth engagement. I don't have the institutions that are focused on malehood to manhood. All of these ways, all of these things were ways a man could express his value, but those things are largely lost. And then we get caught up in the gender words that exacerbate the issues. So I like that. I asked you the question for two reasons. One, I want to be able to have an answer for my own sons if they ever ask me. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know that I know how to answer that question on my own. I need I need a black man to help give me some language and support. So thank you for that. And then the other reason that I asked is because I don't I don't want black men to feel that way. So I'm like, there has to be another way. It can't, we can't just be grade locked into this protect, provide, um, poor, like how you said, in the only way that we are talking about it, like, which is, you're right, in these relationships or dating dynamic that will eventually lead to marriage and family of, of some kind, or at least that's the goal slash hope. If we only see those three Ps, we'll call it, in that direction, then it can leave a lot of men feeling hopeless. Maybe, the, heck, if you don't even desire a relationship or marriage or fatherhood, that's already out. Maybe if you're not good at it or you don't have some of the qualifying factors to be a good contender for it. Yeah, last thing before we move on, another way of looking at that is um, marriage, family, all of that, that is the, I think the highest manifestation of protect, provide, poor dynamic as a man. Like that's the highest order. It's the most permanent, right? There is no going back once you do it, largely speaking. These are just ways to practice those skill sets. It's not unlike someone going, uh, asking for um, a pet and then the, 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 the parents like, let's just start with a plant. Keep the plant alive. You know what I mean? Let me see how consistent you are with the plant. Then when you prove yourself there, we'll get you the dog. Yeah, usually parents do the fish. They do the goldfish right. and then you can get the puppy. Right. It's just levels to <laughs> Yes. It. We shouldn't treat our men like babies or children like that, but the same principle applies. Before you go start taking on a family, go mentor. See how consistent you are with the mentorship, how consistent you are with showing up and how consistent you are with the message you profess and the one that you actually do outside of that world, right? How yeah. much value are you delivering? Now, it's still a big deal because you are impacting the lives of young black boys that will ultimately turn into men and your words and your actions could impact them in a significant way especially if you are inconsistent in how and when you show up. I would argue, though, that it is less impactful than if you were to go create children on your <laughs> own and you're not ready, right? Touche. Or get into a relationship with someone who's joining assets with you mm -hmm. and you're not ready. Um, so it's more than just you saying it because you hope for it to be true or want it to be true. Mm -hmm or need her to believe it so she can take the ride with you it's a character builder yeah right yeah um, if you are lacking in one arena you want to be a rock star in another one so if i'm lacking in the economic means that sir that would would allow for me to bring the provision i would want to be someone that can really kick ass on the uh protect and poor and 
a lot of these outlets that I'm describing, mm -hmm. it allows you to build that character in spades and then get creative on how you provide. And get creative on how you provide. I feel yes. like that's where ambition can be born. Okay, so moving away from self-worth, self-value, um, you want to go episode by episode. So episode nine, your father and his daughter. Yeah, so first things first, I'm just happy to see how my worlds have collided in this episode. Um, it's always a great feeling to see relationships from individual parts of your life come together to serve each other. So that was really cool. Um, and shouts out to Christian. I've known Christian since like elementary school, right? <laughs> One of my first uh, friend relationships. So pretty cool to just see where she's she's um, gotten to and happy that you all had that or got to have a conversation. I think the thing that really resonated for me in this episode was first um, at a higher level the importance of coaching and therapy and the differences between the two and how they complement each other i think is a really good thing i think there's a lot of you know mental health and mental wellness momentum in society currently which lends itself more to therapy and psychotherapy and counseling, as people call it. And that's important. I don't want the coaching to get lost. And I think it's really important for people to recognize that both have their place. And if you really want to supercharge some aspect of your life, take it into therapy and then find a coach in that arena that can help you execute on that particular part of your life real time as you're going through life. So that was cool. The part of the conversation that I think was just as important for women is something you say, which is women learn how to choose a man from their father and whatever the baggage that comes with a relationship with a father can really impact those choosing skills and those relationships moving forward. So to the extent that someone can, a woman can repair or at least understand why things are the way they are with uh, their father, I think just serves huge, huge um, benefits for any woman. And that was something that I heard loud and clear. But let's just role play for a second um, with how that fared with us. So I say, and I don't say this personally, um, my psychology professor taught it to me. So I would say shout out to him, but he ended up in a scandal that was really, really bad post-college. So I can't say shout out to him, but um, it, it wasn't my own language, but the psychological um, principle holds up. And that is, so if I'm taking myself, I learned how to choose men based on my relationship with my father. I learned how to treat men based on my relationship with my mother or in observing them have their relationship with each other or whoever their significant other was. So for me, I did not do that work before I got married the first time. 
and married someone very much like my father in all of the ways that aggressed me. And then I did that work. Thank, um, thank the most high that my father was still here and alive when I started feeling the calling to do that work somewhere around 27, 28. Um, and I, of course I was still married at the time, but now I had new insights. And so I told myself, man, if I ever have to do this again, I'm going to be more conscious of who my father is, how he beats, how we relate, and use that as a measure and as a guide for me uh, choosing better. Still going to be like him in some way, but now I have a consciousness of what it is that I admire in my father more so than what irks me or aggresses me. And I definitely will say, are there pieces of my father that you remind me of? Yes, but nine times out of 10, they're, they're the delightful parts. They're the parts that I admire and that I respect. So when it comes to surface, I feel good about it and not like, oh, daddy issues, right? Like how it used to be. So let's flip that on um, to you. Learning how, I what I do hear a lot when you talk about your father, I can hear how you learn how to treat others, women included, but learn how to treat women um, based on the principles that your father has given you. What I don't hear you say a lot, though I think I can intuit it, is um, how the decisions that you've made in choosing the women that you have chose to be in your life, how it has any connection to your relationship with your mama, who she is as a woman. Mm. I don't know if I've thought about it, but there's one thing that jumps out um, as a major consistency and one that I think was the biggest draw when it came to you and I and how I viewed you. And that is um, both of you have a certain strength when it comes to dealing with hard situations and an emotional fortitude that can be trusted in like tough times. Her career has been in social work. Most of that work has been in the space of either elders, elderly care or elders and trauma work. So she's used to death. If you're gonna do that work and do it well, you personally have to be able to hold space for others that are going through it. And there's a certain evenness and strength of emotion that you have to have, at least in the moment, for um, for you to execute on behalf of others. And then that permeates in different ways of your life. I see the same in you. I see, and I, I, it's a draw. I like the, the idea of knowing in tough times, like you probably won't lose your shit, at least not in the moment. Um, it also carries over into how both of you parented. Neither one of, both of you raised boys. Neither of you sought to be, to raise mama's boys. Mm-hmm. Bless God for that. <laughs> um, she's not that way, you're not that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a certain level of an ability to car- compartmentalize, feel what you feel as a woman, feel you feel at what you feel in the office of a mother, 
but be able to have this emotional strength to compartmentalize when necessary to make tough decisions or the right decision on behalf of your your boys and that strength of emotion I think is a huge draw for me because I'm a person that's fairly rational a person that often does the same when making decisions and while I don't need you to be as consistent as me in that regard I need you to be able to do that work with me when necessary and so if I'm going to be with someone long term I need to be able to trust that that capacity is there and I I I learned that through watching her Mm -hmm. and I saw that that was actually the first thing I saw in you funny enough (laughs) um something I recognize so yeah I would say that's the one consistency that I think is very obvious and it was the most important to me yeah I see other ways that we were like I just didn't I didn't know what you were going to directly say, but I can get with that. Nonetheless, the psychological principle continues to um, hold its own weight. And that's just how we see our same and other gendered parents and how it manifests itself when we are choosing our own relationships, friendships included, but we definitely see it a little bit more magnified in our romantic and intimate ones. Okay, so we're moving from your father and his daughter to episode 10, your mother and her daughter. I can't imagine that you would have something to say about this. You do? Lovebugs, Jeremiah has something to say, and we're going to get straight to it after this break. We'll be right back. Are you looking to get your love life together? You're tired of not having the tools or community you need to navigate these dating and relationship streets. Well, honey, let's take some accountability, do our work and be in the place to reap all the benefits. I invite you to become a Love Lady member and officially join the Match Mary Mate community. You can choose your specific dating and relationship package to work with me. You'll have access to digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If this sounds like something you want, be sure to join today because I'd love to have you. Visit CoachJoyce.com to get started. I want to see your face in the play. One thing. Okay. It reminded me how important it is to learn our family history. Mm. We don't, I don't, I haven't done that to the degree that I feel like I probably should, especially with my father. He passed in 2014. Um, I was 27, about to turn 28 when it happened. You talk about cycles of... Mm -hmm seven in terms of human development so i was closing one and entering another and that next cycle is by far i think the most transformative for maybe women but especially men when it comes to coming into manhood yes so the impact of losing him had a slow burn to it because as i went from 27 to 35 there were moments where i was like 
damn, I wish I could talk to him about this one. This is like the real man-ish. And moments where it's like, you know, you know, you're almost no longer talking as father's son. You are always, but like man to man, yeah. I need to talk about some real stuff. And he wasn't there for that. And so it also realized, I also realized the questions I would have asked him, like, how would you, how did you deal with this? How would you deal with this? I realized there were things I just didn't know about him mm -hmm. right up until that point. And maybe all things aren't supposed to be revealed at once, right? So maybe sure. I needed to be a certain age to even understand those type of topics. But when you don't, either because it's taken from you the opportunity through death or you're not enlightened enough to go ask that person or others that knew them, which is my opportunity that right. I feel like I still haven't done. There's a whole blind spot. Yes. A whole blind spot. You yes. know, like you mess around, ask someone X, Y, Z, and they're like, you know, it's funny you ask because you just like them in that regard. Or, yeah, you know, your dad did that too. Or he was known for this. Like, it's just, really? Really? Oh, you know, that's how you and your dad, your dad and your mom's relationship. Went, right, right, right. It's just so many things that you don't know unless it's offered or you ask and so i think that episode more than anything reinforced for me personally but i hope for the listening audience the importance of going to get that family history from your mother as yeah. a woman for sure but others that might not be your mother that knows your mother or knows mm -hmm. the story of women in your in your in mm -hmm. your uh in your family and you know where are the common themes i think it's just critical because context is everything and it's you perpetuate it no matter what you're going to perpetuate it obviously if you have some insight um, and some information you can steer it in the direction that you would like it to go but you know you you are born into a lineage you do come from others so um, i like that and even so one of the things that we have in common, both losing our parent, you lost your father a little bit earlier in your lifetime than I did. I think I was about 33, 34, one of those ages when my father transitioned, may his memory be a blessing. And, but still I was in that season, that 27 to 35. And there were things I would call my mom for. And as a woman, she could give me the things. And then I wanted to hang up the phone with her and call my dad because I wanted him to tell me the male perspective of what I was going through, things that I should consider, um, how our own reconciliation and talks that we've had um, to bridge us together. How does that play out here? And I know my dad would have given it to me. He would have just sat back and been like, how you want to get started? We going to get barbecue? Let me light a cigarette <laughs> so we can just dive in. Um, and I just, I didn't have access um, to that. And so I did, I found myself having to ask his sisters, his mother, other things, other people who could give it to me, but I didn't have access to many men who could tell me the story. Um, and then I struck gold years later, his, his first cousin and favorite cousin ended up reaching out to me and I was able to ask a lot of questions. Um, and so obviously it doesn't replace my father, but it gave me a lot of insight and perspective. So. I think Miss Tracy also said the act of doing so 
um, hopefully it grows the level of empathy you mm -hmm. have for your parents and by extension for yourself. Uh, when you hear the stories like, oh, that's why they are the way they were at XYZ in their life. And if it happened around 30 something and you're 30 something right now, you can very much uh, empathize and put yourself in their shoes because it's like, oh, I'm 30 something and I ain't got my figured out either. <laughs> so I can easily see how they landed in that place, right? Maybe it it's manifested in a way that you feel like is either unbecoming or, you know, um, something that you wish you didn't have to deal with as the as the child, but you can understand. Um, and so I thought Miss Tracy did a really good job for the listeners to point that out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's transition right into episode 11 your self-awareness where I had Cardi on for the 100 dates in Houston episode. Now me and her hit a couple of topics that we didn't know we were gonna hit. We just were having a natural conversation, went off script. And I ended up saying to her after we finished the recording, I'm like, you know, you said a few things that Jeremiah likes to entertain at least conversationally. So I'm very, <laughs> I'm very interested in what resonated with you in that episode. Do tell. Um, I think Kati was a fantastic example of someone who takes information and creates a strategy, an intentional strategy for themselves and then goes executes it. Mm -hmm. I think that was a great example of that. You know, a lot of people that just consume information for the sake of saying they they got it, uh, maybe they they learned it, they comprehend it. But how are you translating that into an actionable strategy for yourself to change your circumstances in the way that you want? She was a perfect use case of how to do that. Um, for her, it was like volume. I'm gonna go for the volume play um and has very specific ways of identifying who's going to get in that funnel if you will mm -hmm. uh, how she can do it in a way that's sustainable and doesn't drain her mm -hmm. um making sure that when those when those experiences come up there is value gained regardless of the outcome there i know that she talked about what was it like a certain almost like brooding anger behind the fact that the numbers just are not in black women's favor mm -hmm. and just like a that that anger has kind of transitioned into a certain level of determination mm -hmm. i'm just gonna like outwork everybody mm -hmm. which i really respect but i also appreciated her eyes wide open um eyes wide open acceptance of where things are this day and age and not cry over spilled milk and just get out there and do the work for the things that she can control right so i i, I respected it and enjoyed that one heidi's a leo oh <laughs> shouts out to the leo gang 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 <laughs> 
I knew you would like that. Um, Lion Club. So I'm going to do an episode a little bit later on. I think I might invite you to sit with me for at least half of it. I want to talk about traditional versus modern marriage. But for this conversation, um, and what also kind of helped me move in the direction of the one I just mentioned, uh, Dr. Stacey Patton, one, an academic who I follow, and I, I largely like her work, she recently posted this image, and it was saying traditional marriage in the biblical way. And it was her way of, you have to kind of know a personality, but as a journalist, when she hears messaging that she believes is, is off or, or wrong, inaccurate, unhelpful, a host of things, she will usually just drop an image, drop a meme, you know, drop some type of media that exposes how off it is or that even the people who are supporting it really aren't behind it in the way that they are. So she drops this image. It's like, well, traditional marriage, according to the Bible, for those who, you know, like to push that message. And there is a host of them, you know, what biblical marriage looks like um, in all of the varieties, but one of them is polygamy. And you could imagine the comments um, because in our Western Judeo-Christian American society, you know, uh, marriage is one man and one woman under God, you know, type thing. And so I'm a person of variety. I happen to be okay with the variety of ways in which people try to um, cultivate relationships, make meaning, create family. I am not anti um, any relationship or familial structure as long as no one's being hurt and people can get it to work and sustain it. And, um, and it, it is checking off the things in society that are are good and things we want to repeat so hey if you like polygamy you like it i love it type thing i'm not a, i'm not against any kind i don't want to say i'm not against polygamy because then people will hear the wrong thing i'm not against any kind of um, familiar structure that people can get to work for them and they're not hurting anyone and surprisingly enough kylie brought it up in the conversation she said hey well there are some ways to respond to this gender disparity. This one isn't the one she's choosing, but I like that she mentioned it as an option because it can be a viable option. And if you're one of those people who believe in biblical marriage, it is sitting in the book. It's not a prescription of one man and, and one woman under God, the way that Judeo Christians like to um, support it, but it is, it is in the book. So my question to you is, do you see that type of um, marriage or family structure as an option? I know putting aside its legal standing in this country, we're gonna be law abiding citizens. So we get that it can't not necessarily be practiced in this country, but do you, could you see it as an option? in general, and then particularly in response to the gender disparity, as Kaidi mentioned, does she have a friend in you? 
My Leo family has a friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think the first question you asked is an easy one. It, you know, is it is it a viable option just in general? I mean, the world would say so, right? Most of the world, um, or let's say most of the population um, has that as a part of their society in some way, right? Uh, Western culture is the exception, not the rule in regards to family structures. I also saw a YouTube that talked about the institution of marriage. And one of the interesting things is that when you study the history of marriage, the meaning of it has changed depending on the society. Sure. And so, and, and more specifically, the value that it served depended on what the society needed. So, for example, you know, I ain't a fan of, you know, European history, but as an example, most of the marriages in European history, because it was a royal based kind of uh, collection of societies, was largely used as a means to consolidate power because they were all trying to kind of create factions and alliances to increase their royal position. And so that's one example, but then you go somewhere else and it's largely an act of um, what? Just survival, quite frankly, right? Making sure that the collection of us can, can eat and be okay. And so I think that that's the first thing, although I respect and will never insult how people place meaning on marriage, the reality of it yes. is across time, it has evolved based on the society and what the society needs the role of marriage to play. Mm -hmm. To that end, black folks got a whole lot of imbalances, we'll call them in terms of viable men and viable women and I, I think you said that we have another episode for it so i won't go too much down the rabbit hole but i do think it is a fair statement to say that one way to ensure that the women who are seeking coverage partnership someone to pour into companionship at the most basic level um one way of doing that is to create a, uh, a societal structure that allows for uh, more than just a one-to-one -one pairing for family units. And so a whole lot of things that could be unpacked in that regard. And if you wanna ask those questions now, if you wanna keep it for some you know, episode that everyone's going to be chomping at the bit to hear later. That's cool. <laughs> but I do think it's a, a reasonable thing to put it on the table. I am going to be very careful here. And I'm going to say that I'm going to just speak for my community. I'm not saying that this does or doesn't happen in others. I'm just talking about mine. A lot of the pushback to polygamous relationships that I just see like online and in 
conversation, usually random, but sometimes intentional. But a lot of the conversation that I see is I'm not sharing. I want to be all mine. I would say I want you to be curious about where your individualism came from. And I would also say in my own community, if I'm talking to women, I'm gonna let Jeremiah speak to men on this issue. And I would like the women to be reserved to me on this issue. But if I'm speaking to women, I'm gonna say, y'all do a lot of sharing anyway. And then that'll be that. So you wanna say something behind that about the polygamy? You wanna say anything to the to the men or you have anything in response? Uh, to men specifically, you know, some men would listen to that and say, hear what we're talking about and say, hell yeah. Other men would say, nah, I ain't dealing with the headache. And then others would say, um, not sure. But for all men. Black men. All black men. Yeah. I would say that all things come with a blessing and a burden, as you always say. And the idea of covering to women, to families, whatever, that is not to be played with. We just had a whole conversation about how there are countless men that aren't quite yet ready and have arrived for the office of just being a husband or you know someone that can be relied upon consistently for certain elements of family and romantic partnership and we talked about the institutions that could help that out if that's true then i think it's safe to say it's an even smaller population <laughs> of men who can like confidently both have the means and the makeup right it is important for any man that would want to attempt to do that to recognize that it takes a certain level of means and makeup to build a family with more than one woman and it should not be something that's taken lightly or even thought to be possible for most men i don't think it is and the men that we have in our current society who have fathered children with more than one woman they see how that's it's more difficult to show up it's more difficult to provide not that you can't but there's it, it requires so much more of you it's i mean yes i'm not in that situation so i can't speak to it from personal experience but i have plenty of mm -hmm. observation points and the just headache mm -hmm. straight up the mm -hmm. headache that goes along with that when it wasn't done um in a very planned and organized way like you would assume or that you, you would hope that any choice like that is made with your first partner right and yeah. so i think that in those circumstances 90 percent of the time the person either has moved on and created a different one after this one dissolved or it was in the midst of what they were in and that's even worse right. and under both circumstances everyone's not on the same page and it's going to create a massive headache so yeah, I think there's plenty of reasons why 
it could be done wrong, which is why I'm emphasizing the fact that it takes a certain means and makeup for it to be done right at all, even possible to do be done right. Yeah, I agree. And then this is where I kind of put a, a, a feather back on my woman's side to say, I like when those conversations come up when women are initiating those conversations or driving those conversations. Um, because the first question when a man does is, do you even have enough for yourself or, or one other woman before you talk about two, three, four of them? Um, so yeah, there, obviously there's things that need to be sorted and talked about. I'm just not a person who, um, speaks ill or speaks against a variety of familiar structures, especially one that is a biblical and B has a longer, um, existence than the one we participate in and know in our American society. Well, hopefully we survived that session and we can do another one on the next episode, dedicated episode. Oh, it's fine. We'll survive it. People will give their their praise and commentary and critique and we'll use that. So transitioning into episode 12, your vulnerability and femininity. What you got to say, sir? So I really like this one because it actually was the, it of all the episodes you've done, I think it made me think of our relationship the most. Hmm. And we talked about this after, but you were giving Shawnee's advice about her discovering the truth behind some feedback that he had given her. And one of the things that you counseled her on was to, upon recognizing that, kind of giving him his flowers to a certain extent, mm-hmm. saying, hey, in part, I've discovered that what you were saying was right and i'm gonna do xyz moving forward to try to account for that and we had just had a conversation you and i Mm -hmm. about some relationship dynamics for our own um, relationship and long story short hearing your advice to her made me come to you and i said you know what i have no questions that you take what i tell you and act on it because you will mention it in passing here and there sometimes but i said it would be great for that bit of advice you gave shanice to be something that you did for me specifically around telling me what exactly you've discovered because you do a lot of work with your therapist Mm -hmm. and take a lot of the things we talk about into your sessions um and i don't expect for for me to ever get a Mm play-by-play right of, of your therapy but things that are pertinent to you and i maybe something that you went and worked on i think it would be valuable for me to personally hear those things too when you feel like You've had a discovery of something that validates maybe something that I told you as well. Mm-hmm. Not because I need the cheerleader pom-poms, but it does feel good to know that when someone um, or when I give a point of feedback that could either be vulnerable or 
potentially contentious mm-hmm. um, or filled with a, le- a level of tension, it's a good feeling to know that A, it was heard even in the midst of that tension mm-hmm. and that you took it back and did something with it and that you felt like there was some truth in it. Um, and so I thought because of what we had just talked about and then I had listened to that thereafter, it was very much a personal discovery um, in listening to that episode. So thanks, Shawnees, for your story because it actually helped us in a way. After you and I had that conversation about Shanice's episode, it wasn't too long before we logged on for our own one-to-one session. And I started, I said, girl, not, not me helping you, you helping me. And I gave her a small rundown um, of our conversation and, and why you would even say such a thing after hearing an episode. And so funny enough, you started this episode by saying, you know, they say the greatest way for you to strengthen your skill is to teach someone else. And here we go, full circle. <laughs> true, 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 true. Full circle, because who would have thunk it? Ladies, I got to thank you. Every time <laughs> Every time y'all get on a, on a coaching call and she records it, I could just use that stuff when we come to our conversation. You remember what you yes. said to such and such? And he does. He's like, that's not what you would say to your clients. Do better. Give me more. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> well, it's it's important that what is good for the goose is good for the gander, as my grandfather would say. So I don't mind being called out kindly and respectfully, but I don't I don't mind being called out or having things being brought to my attention. So thank you, Shanice. Your episode in some way improved our own relationship. So shout out to you. Let's transition right into episode 13, your no. And this episode, when you and I were talking, I think it was our bonus and we were getting into how you were saying, oh, I, I finally understood what feminine power felt like. And um, even though I wanted what I wanted, what I was asking Joyce for, she gave me a no and rightfully so. And I just had to deal with it and kind of do better or be better. This episode has those tones, right? The same thing, um, had been spending time with someone, a guy is asking for a little bit more. It's a little too much too soon at the time. And so as a woman, we are having to contend with the fact that, yeah, it's going to have to be a no, but I want to communicate that to you gingerly because I don't want you to feel rejected. And you talked about the difference between dejected and rejected. And I really like that distinction there. And then as a black woman, you just want to make sure you're not kind of dispiriting a black man, even if your answer is no. And also how you communicate a no in some regard um is telling to how a man would want to interact with you in the future even if he's not being able to interact with you in the way that um he proposed so her our stories are not exactly the same but it had that energy so what were your thoughts on the declining exclusivity episode first thing is um i want the listeners to if you haven't listened to the episode with Alexandra, go back and listen to it. 
I want listeners to dial in on how seriously Alex takes being a student. Um, she takes notes, copious notes. She refers back to those notes. She really takes the act of learning relationship skills as a, like a class. And black women are not short on having skills that are, are um, tailor-made for dominating in the classroom. But it takes a mindset that you are in class to be able to get those same gains. And she is highly studious in her approach to what she learns through Match Mary Mate and your coaching. And I think that is a great example for others to follow. Mm. I think sometimes people um, people can feel a bit embarrassed about what they feel like they have to learn. But if you place that level of embarrassment around it, you won't apply yourself as much right. because, you know, it's, it's like, why do I even have to be here to learn this type of thing? Or why can't I get it on my own type of thing? She said all that aside, if it was ever there, you would never know it because she just dials in as a as a class, as a as a student, and really tries to pour over the content and learn it and embody it. So huge kudos to, to Alex in that regard and all other listeners, women who are thinking about or or actively a part of your your coaching. Do the same thing because I think it'll supercharge your gains. As far as the episode itself and the, the power of the no, I, I think it all sums up to what you said. I think it's a Marieism, Mama Marie. <laughs> uh, I think the saying you you said was um, a man who can't deal with your no doesn't deserve your yes, something like that. Yeah, I think that's a great a great mantra for women to remember because it reminds you of the power you hold. It also reminds you that all information is good information. So one of the things, and I'll translate this into career, um, career talk because uh, that's something I counsel a lot of people on and I take you know my own career very seriously. A lot of times people worry about when they tell their employer when they're leaving or when they're negotiating something for a new contract, new job opportunity, or maybe there's a project that they don't want to do or they want to focus on another one if that's in their scope of rights as the employee. All that to say, every time I get that topic and someone's asking how to deal with it, I tell them, if they act up when you decline, that's good information. You do say that. <laughs> it's not about the answer. Mm. It's not about the answer that you give. It's about their reaction to it. So stay authentic. Keep, keep whatever it is that's important to you real about the situation 
an answer and not try to couch it in a way that you think is you don't want to be disrespectful but when i say not palatable not in a way where it's not actually the answer you want to give telling someone yes when you really want it to be a no just because you're afraid of how they're going to react um or some other reason that is either founded or unfounded just takes the power out of your own agency mm -hmm. and you should be thinking about it in a different light where i'm going to tell them how i feel and how they react is actually going to be more important in this situation than anything else i want to see what they're going to say when i say no will they act right. in a mature fashion Will they make us think about it? Will they call me out my name? Will they still want to show up for me? All of those things are super important of bits of bits of information, and um, is how you should be thinking about those those um, moments. Think how you think about those moments uh, because it reveals a person's true character um, almost always when they hear something they don't want to hear. That's when you know someone's true character. So remember that Mariaism, ladies, and uh, don't relinquish your power just because you're worried about someone acting an idiot. The only time I think I would, if I had a daughter, the only time I would tell her to say something that's totally not what she believes is if her safety to is save on her life. life. Yeah. Other than that, be be real with yourself and let the information you get back inform more about the person that you probably need to know now that you wouldn't have otherwise figured out. Yeah, and I wanna give that, um, I wanna give that brother in question his flowers because she had that conversation in July. We are recording this in September and he has continued to show up in the ways that she has invited him to even though she declined his original proposal so shout out to him all right let's bring in the caboose final episode of the season your feedback loops and sweet spots i used um our uh curated coaching sessions on clubhouse to put this episode together and then i also told a summer story story that i had with a gentleman um over the summer as i was helping one one of our um friends with do i walk up to this guy should i what's true what's not as i was helping her with that i also inserted that story so give us your input one of the things you started with i think was this idea of co-laboring that is a very common thing uh when it comes to well a very common thing the women that I know have to get over the hump on. Mm. A lot of women expect for it all to just come to them. Like, well, he ain't hollering at me, I ain't hollering at him. Not expecting it all to be one direction is important. Um, Gottman, I think your one of your favorite relationship academics and practitioners in the space talks about bids um bids bids they can be big or small it could be um telling someone they look good and it could be buying them a gift but the key to bids is to reciprocate and i think 
in his research, he talks about the fact that simply evaluating the number of bids and the frequency of reciprocating those bids in a relationship is the highest predictor for if that relationship is going to survive. Not you knowing Gottman's research like this. Yo, I'll be reading. <laughs> I'm actually pleasantly surprised. I read that book before us. Oh my goodness. What book did you read before us? The Gottman book. One of the Gottman books where he talks about bids. Yeah. Wow. So I'm a little impressed right now. I'll tell you offline as to why I had that book in my hands. Okay. That's for another day. But <laughs> if I think about the conversation around bids and the conversation you had with Danny, that's a really important point. Reciprocity, right? Like if I've reached out, have you reached out? Right now, it's not about book counting. Right. But if I'm reaching out all the time as the guy and you're never reaching back out to me, it's always on, always and only if I initiate, then maybe the frequency of the bids is at a decent rate. But the reciprocity of it is poor. Mm -hmm. And that's a predictor of a, a relationship on the rocks. Because if one person decides to check out, if he specifically chides, decides to check out, it's over. It dies. Mm -hmm. As opposed to maybe he's just not in a great state, but your reciprocity keeps it going, right? Even when he's not up for it or can't, right? And so I think that idea of bids and um, reciprocity in the bid process, big or small, is really important for one that I think you're um, woman listeners um, should take to heart, especially if they're noticing that the man is doing it, right? He's making honest attempts at um, those bids. So that's the first thing. The second one is uh, what I thought about when, I, when you are talking about like, okay, who should I keep? Who should I kind of move on from? Interest instead of interrogation. Be interested, you know, like find the interesting topics, find the curiosity, even if it's for the sake of learning about yourself. Maybe some women just got really good radars and they know when to cut it quick, right? Like, all right, I can project, I see where this is going and let me not waste my time. Um, but more often than not, I think there's opportunity for continuation, especially if you're not losing one opportunity for another right yeah that's what she was learning she's like okay this is the third guy that has said this to me now i now i feel like i need to bring it to you and have you tell me is it me or am i tripping and i'm like it sounds like it's you <laughs> so let's just unpack why you're not engaging these men because they do not have i think one of the things that women miss is a, a man does have to gain a sense that you are interested otherwise continuing to pursue you is creepy it's like so at least for danny she was saying that they were like oh i didn't know if he was interested i didn't know if we were still on for this like i messaged you you didn't say anything back da, 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 da. you know if if that was to be the other way around oh my gosh we'd right. be saying <laughs> you and this man everything about a child of god he don't know how to do a simple text back 
And it's funny because it's so funny because women rightfully champion the idea of men not just assuming that they have a right to something. Sure. Right. Or dominating a space or just, you know, taking what's not theirs or something they haven't given permission for. Right. And these men are attempting to honor that. In a Me Too environment, what do you expect them to do? They need some level of invitation. Otherwise, it's weird. And if they continue to come at you and you don't want it, but they can't, they don't quite know that yet, right? Or even if they're doing it on purpose, you would you would call them a creep. You would say it's unwanted. So you do have some skin in the game with at least saying, I like the advances. They are welcome. I invite them. Um, so that he kind of gets a read on, okay, this is a it's a safe space for me to pursue you or a safe space for me to ask for your number or ask you out, whatever it could be. Um, so yeah, I think Danny was starting to to pick that up. Another benefit in dating. Yep. Bids. Gottman. Go look up Gottman in those bids. That that principle alone, I think, is a very, very powerful um relationship tool. And even when you're dating and being pursued by a man, using that bid um concept is just it adds more fuel to the fire for a man to show up if they're really interested so if if i'm interested in you and i've you know done something to try to take you out or you know show you my interest as a man and then i get a bid back if he's for real about you oh he's gonna go harder <laughs> he's gonna go way harder yes he will <laughs> he's gonna go way harder so all everybody else is kind of sitting there trying to look their prettiest and just you know woo him to come to them if you're the one that throws a little bit out there where it's like yo it's my turn you know i found this xyz thing low cost easy for you to do whatever whatever and um oh i heard your favorite team's playing you want to go catch a beer or something and watch the game catch some wine watch the game whatever like he's gonna go harder for you i promise so use the bids to your advantage ladies ladies you know what that's so super interesting because um you just did something that i do and I, it just hit me so godman is a marriage researcher um and all of his clinical work or otherwise is in that direction of predicting um, the success of marriage and maintaining the quality of it. And what I argue in my research is sure, but people need to know these things and have these skills as early as starting to date and form relationships so that they're not having to learn so much on the job training in actual marriage. So that's that's how I look at his research and try to bring it into the dating space. So people are more empowered with the skills before they fully need them, at least in a, in a longevity way that is marriage. And you just did that. It's like the bids that he's talking about is in the context of, of marriage. However, we understand human beings start having emotional bank accounts from hello. And so 
taking that idea or that concept as early as to dating. Absolutely. If you give some energy, someone will give it back to you. So I love that. And then it, it made me think um, Danny wanted to purchase some tickets for his birthday. And the tickets, the tickets were expensive, but it was to a, a show he really wanted to see and a group that he really likes. And she was like having this internal, internal conflict because the messaging of social media and, and all of this crap says, don't you buy that man no expensive tickets, girl. But she really wanted to make that bid for him. And so we had to talk it out. Anywho, she bought the tickets because why not? <laughs> don't listen to women on social media who don't have what you have or trying to go about gaining the skills that you're trying to gain to get what it is that you say you want to have. And he was so smitten. Right. And it, the question the, the question begs is why don't those social media talking heads believe that men in general, right? They're not even talking about anybody specific, that men in general don't deserve to be gifted just treat it treat it treated right like whenever someone gives me a whenever i hear a statement that is absolute or near absolute i try to run it through what i would call not extreme ridiculous scenarios but reasonable likely to uh likely to happen scenarios and mm -hmm. see if it can hold true mm -hmm. through all of them mm -hmm. and if it can't it strikes me as BS. Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask yourself, why, why is someone pursuing that as their, their, their absolute law? And that's a circumstance where I'm like, why, right? Would you take that same approach with your husband? Oh, no, I wouldn't. So it's not about men. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, someone would also answer yeah. yes to that. But, and it is but, about men. But yes, I agree with you. Right? If it's not, if you would do it for your husband, then it's not about men. You just perceive a man that's not your husband as unworthy, and then I. Well, it's have about to, money. If it, if it's your husband, then it's like, oh well, this is the same money or money in the same pot, sort of speak, or that I have access to his money, even if you are spending his money to do something for him. When you're dating, and both of these people are high income earners, so it's he could afford the tickets himself. That's not what it was about. It wasn't about money at all. It was about you, um, wanting to make a kind gesture for his birthday. And the first thing that came to mind was this group that he loves. And you look it up and the group is in town the weekend of his birthday. It just happens to be expensive. Right. If you, <laughs> it's expensive, but if you... If, but everything else was a through line. She wanted to do the gesture. It was his birthday. The group is somebody he's been talking about. They happened to be in town. She wanted to do it. She was getting caught up with hearing people say, you're gonna spend that kind of money on a man? Everybody's money is relative. Exactly. It's keeping your own pockets. A year later, they're still together. <laughs> Bids. Bids. What a wonderful way to close. Thanks, Jeremiah, for hanging with me. Yeah, of course. Oh, and the name of the book, I finally remember, um, The Relationship Cure. It's a 2002 yeah. uh, Gottman book, The Relationship Cure. It talks about bids. Go uh, grab it. Thank you all for joining us for another bonus episode. And we look forward to connecting with you in season three.
Right now, we are in between seasons as we gear up for season three, which debuts January 2024. Until then, we hope you continue to enjoy our pop-up episodes until we return with that new season. One of the reasons I produce these husband and wife episodes together with Jeremiah is because I firmly believe that men need to address men about male identity and behavior, and that women need to address women about female identity and behavior. Some of the Match Mary Mate listening audience are men and some are couples. And I think having a male perspective as well as a couple view is beneficial. Likewise, I also believe that there are some issues that men should reserve their comments to women about women or female lifestyle. They can talk about it amongst themselves as men if they want, but it's not for women to hear, neither is it their place to speak on publicly. I also believe the same for women. There are issues that women should reserve their comments to men about men or male lifestyle. We can discuss it together as women, and you know we will, but it's not for men to hear. Neither is it our place to speak on publicly. Should it need to be public, both parties should be present and available to engage in that conversation. I'm a little old school on this topic and more of a traditionalist in this way. So to that end, I'd like to leave you with the quote from Sambunfu Somay, a West African teacher, writer, and spiritualist. She says, we accept the tradition that women must work with women to build feminine identity and that men must work with men in order to build masculine identity. This way, when a man and woman come together, they are better able to relate to each other. Okay, lovebugs, thank you for joining Jeremiah and I today by tuning in to this episode of the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.